Hi, everyone. This is Chrissy Regan, Everyday Wellness Podcast, and I'm joined today by my friend Anna Walsh from Happy Mash. Hi, Anna. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. How are you, Chrissy? Good. So you have a lovely Scottish accent, but you actually live in Townsville. So what motivated you to move from sunny Scotland to tropical Townsville? Well, I think that's pretty obvious. Like the weather is absolutely one of the main factors, but it was just work and jobs that brought me and my partner out here. And we've been here for six years now and have just become citizens as well. Wow. Congratulations. So you're Thanks. Aussie citizens. Mm, yep. Yeah, dual citizens. Yep. Yeah. That's brilliant. I'm a UK citizen as well, so it's good to have options, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we feel a bit like an international spy with all our different passports. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got to have a drawer full of passports. It's super exciting. So you are the founder of a company called Happy Mash, which um, promotes sexual health and sexual wellness for women. So please introduce a little bit about that and what was your motivation behind it? Yeah, well, uh, when I was on my maternity leave with my second child, I really wanted to change up the way that my life was going in terms of my career. I felt like I was really losing control of it. And I think a lot of people, especially women, feel like that after they have had children. Um, so I decided to sort of utilize a little bit of that time to really make a shift. And I was always really interested in sex toys because they were so up and coming and changing the way in which we really think about pleasure and feminism and empowerment in that respect um, and so combined with my prior experience of being in the police I worked in their rape and domestic abuse squads respectively for a number of years I really wanted to sort of put that um, experience into use but in a more positive way this time um, as opposed to sort of um, always reacting to things and trying to prevent things in that way this is a much more preventative model um, for encouraging more pleasure and more positivity in your lives and really working upon the relationship with yourself as a woman or a vulva owner and within an intimate relationship with a partner. Um, and so that really sort of led me to design a couple of sex toys and I bought another few as to, to be sort of a starter range called the Know Yourself range. And then I was just going from, you know, one crossing one bridge at a time and I was buying domains and starting business like a business with ASIC and working on the website and yeah here I am uh, just over two years later still going <laughs> so that's always a positive thing but it really has led to many other uh, avenues all links in of course um, one which you know about is called Sexually Healthy Cities where myself and business partners partner Keisha Booth are sex educators for adults so we're really taking that and actually putting it into some sort of practical play um, and education for people who are interested so it really is um, there are no downsides really to the job uh, and I just have to be my own cheerleader and I have to be self-disciplined I guess but like I say to many people when I'm trying to persuade them to you know get to know themselves more intimately, enjoy masturbation. I always say there are literally no downsides to having more orgasms in your life. So that's really like the main message and it's a great one to be putting out there. Yes, it's really cool and quite funny. So I might pick up on a few things that you've said that you use the term vulva owner. Mm. When did that become part of your vocabulary? Because I'm. did you talk about that in your career in the police force or was it afterwards? Yeah, definitely not in the police. So I left the police about five, six years ago when we moved to Australia. And that just wasn't something that was in uh, everyone's vocabulary yet. Like I think we had, I, I certainly wasn't educated enough to sort of stop thinking in such a binary way, you know, either male, female, men, women, girls, boys, you know, I'm really taking steps to really make sure that I move away from that and I'm much more inclusive and diverse in my language and mm -hmm. um, so I really talk about vulva owners because my sex toys are for the vulva they are specifically designed and for pleasuring the vulva and um, I don't in, I have not created them with penises in mind so I'm really focusing on the anatomy as opposed to the person um, and that really makes sure that no matter how someone identifies in themselves in terms of their gender, no matter what is between their legs or whom they're fucking for that matter, mm. like that makes sure we really focus on the anatomy as opposed to the gender. So you could be non-binary, you could identify as a male, but have a vulva, you know, there you could be transitioning from one 
um, sex to another, but your gender is something completely different. So I love to talk about vulva owners because that also really highlights the fact that we're not talking um, in terms of vaginas anymore, which was classically the way the way that we coined and talked about our genitalia certainly was when I was growing up, although even then vagina was probably a bit of a, I guess, a difficult word and a stigmatized word to say. But the vulva is really the correct terminology for it, which encompasses everything that you see on the external side of your anatomy if you are a female. Um, and internally, as we know, the vagina is more the birth canal or where we might put a sex toy if we want to. So, yeah, that's why I'm really focusing on that term vulva owners. Um, and it's absolutely appropriate to discuss uh, women as well. It's not like women is a dirty word. It's just that you have to remember that not all women have vulvas. Yes, that's a very interesting point. And I wanted to pick up on the fact that you said you're your own cheerleader you need to be because I think um, with this topic and when you're putting yourself out there to talk about things which are kind of sensitive or taboo you can get a vulnerability hangover do you find that from time to time yeah like it's difficult because I I do give a lot of myself and talk a lot about myself and my own relationships um, and so I guess that is difficult in a way but it really is very key to be able to sort of put it into context for people um, and I think that in, if you're asking someone else to to consider such a delicate and sometimes complex and shamed part of their lives which they may have experienced it in that way as they were growing up then it's really important for me to be able to open up and be vulnerable as well um, we may not have any shared experiences we may not have anything in common but at least we can have that vulnerability in common or that um, openness to discuss things that we wouldn't normally discuss. So I have had feedback from people either who have been teaching or who have just been consuming the content on the website or the podcast that they do really appreciate me um, truth telling where it wasn't actually required or it wasn't requested or it wasn't expected. And it can come as a bit of a shock to hear someone speaking so frankly or openly about and at my anatomy or my intimate relationships or the way that I was brought up um, because it's basically not what they were expecting to hear or expecting someone to be discussing and um, celebrating or, or, or the opposite, like talking about all the ways in which I didn't, I wish things hadn't happened or, you know, the negative things that have happened to me. So, yeah, I think it's really a, a common a common ground that needs to be established in order for people to share and I absolutely do not expect anyone to share back like I understand these are really um deep and often like fearful and shame entrenched entrenched conversations that people have with themselves um, and that's exactly what they're for they're for themselves if they want to speak to anyone else about it partners friends myself included then they can but this is just more planting seeds in people's heads um, to have another think about it. And, you know, we all think that we sort of know ourselves, but the truth is, is that we're continuously, continually growing and evolving as we grow older. And our sexuality and our sexual preferences and our pleasure preferences are absolutely part of that, which is amazing because imagine if we just stayed the same forever, it would be so boring. And that goes the same for our long-term relationships. You know, we can be in relationships for 10, 20, 30 plus years. And that doesn't mean that we are going to grow together, but it certainly doesn't mean that we have to grow apart. So really thinking about sex lives, which are often such an integral part of our relationships with people if we have an intimate relationship with a person mm -hmm. they're so important and so it's important that we keep the communication going that we are open to changes whether in our own lives or our partner's lives um, and really to celebrate that and be really uh, excited about that in the future because as I said before what a boring way to live if we were set in stone from when we first came into a relationship with someone yeah, it's so true. And I, I like the word delicate because it covers all manner of sins, really, doesn't it, when you're talking about such um, intimate things. And I do see, obviously, a sea change because you talked about, you know, Scottish police force. I can imagine that was kind of old school institutionalised in a way. That would be my perception. You're dealing with rape victims and very traumatic experiences. And then you kind of move to Australia and go full circle and you go, hey, I'm going to talk about vulvas and I'm going to sell vibrators and I'm going to educate people how to have healthy sex lives and how to think about sex in a healthy way. So that's a massive sea change, too, I would say. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes a lot with the changes that were already going on in my life, like becoming a mother um, and entering into a really committed relationship with my partner. Um, and yeah, I guess like the, the police in many ways in Scotland, I mean, Scotland has a great reputation for its police force and um, for its mental health. And a lot of actually Australia's policies are based off either the Mental Health Act in Scotland, which is world renowned, or the Sexual Offences Act, which um, Australia and Queensland are still catching up with. Um, so I did have that really good open foundation from a legal standpoint. Um, however, it was the police. So it's still entrenched in patriarchy and institutionalized, like you say, um, the, the rank structure is really difficult. And I think people find that across the board in police army um, and government as well which is where I spent a lot of my time um, policy writing and I have been in government in Australia in Queensland and in Victoria and I can see that to a certain extent there so I think everyone everyone has these limits and these barriers within their lives and it's funny how they can all sort of overlap a little. Yeah it is very interesting the the step change so tell me a little bit about the common issues that you see around sexual wellness with the people that you're meeting and talking with. Again, the first one is that it's never really acknowledged, um, you know, so sexual wellness or sexuality, their uh, freedom that people feel like they have to express that within their lives um, isn't often discussed because it kind of just feel, feels like for a lot of people that it's the status quo. Like I mentioned before, that things are set in stone or this is how we came into a relationship or this is how... I was when I was younger so that's how I must be now and so there's a guess there's a lack of acknowledgement to even explore that any further and um, think of their their continuation of their sexuality as a discovery model as opposed to something that is set in stone um, it's also something that can be dismissed in that respect because um, it's very it is difficult it's not an easy thing to do to open yourselves up to um, having those discussions either with yourself or someone else. It would be much easier if we didn't have to think about these things again, if they are perhaps troublesome or if we have had issues or trauma in the past, bad relationships, sexual, sexual assault, you know, all these things come into play. The way that we were brought up, the way that we were expected to behave when we were children. So all these things really are underlying and it's very difficult to actually uh, pinpoint what is giving you problems or what is stopping you from experiencing things in a much more pleasurable way mm -hmm. and so yeah the guests are sort of sweeping under the carpet um or the failure to acknowledge that there are any issues mm -hmm. is the main thing and I think anyone it would be difficult for anyone to say that they didn't have any issues or that they couldn't improve in this area myself included and I never want to get to the stage where I think that's me done <laughs> because I really honestly think that will be death that, that is the actual pinpoint of never of, of stopping to grow and evolve as a person mm -hmm. um, and I guess the reason why it's so difficult is that there is such a lack of insight for people into the shame that we all experience and shame is such a powerful and really like dirty word almost because <clears throat> it can evoke such powerful emotions in us and it it doesn't I'm not really even just expressing this with, ref with reference to sex or sexuality or it's always it's also to do with the way we dress the way that we want to do our hair or makeup or we don't want to do our hair or makeup like if we feel like we're being provocative promiscuous like all these names especially for women and girls growing up all these terms and these names are things which we can feel shamed for and I guess when we come into motherhood if anyone who's watching is a mother or even has children in their lives they realize there's this dichotomy between the sort of Madonna and the whore you know you have to feel like you're either one or the other and really that doesn't fit with anyone never mind people who have just had children and feel like they're trying to struggle to find themselves um in the mix of those two really strong feelings so yeah the lack of insight is really difficult for people um, and I guess shame really permeates our lives in lots of different ways and um it's it's a lot of work like you know if you have trauma or you have anything in the past which you really have been sweeping under the carpet uh, you really often need a professional to help you get through that and so I can 100% see why it's much more why it's much easier not to do that work especially because we are all very busy and um, if you have children in your lives then things can become 10 times as busy or they often feel like they are 
Um, and, and I myself recently have uh, thought a lot about different scenarios that have happened to me in the past. And I have had lots of realizations of different sexual assaults that have happened to me in the past, which I never actually went back and looked upon and think, oh, actually, that was a sexual assault, you know. And these are more minor sexual assaults, not that I want to take anything away from minor or major sexual assaults, but that is just the way that I perceive them. But, um, you know, it's really important to go back through some of these things and reframe them so that you can then move on and get past them and, and realise that they don't need to affect your life ongoing in the future. Mm. We can often excuse away minor sexual assaults as people just misbehaving or people playing or people being rough or whatever, but... I've also had taken time to reflect on lots of incidents that happened in my life and what, you know, and, and they've enabled me to make healthier decisions and put boundaries in place as to who I want in my life because I don't want to be friends with someone on Facebook who sexually assaulted me in the pool 30 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Just because every we should accept every friendship request we get on Facebook doesn't mean to say, you know, I'm sorry, but you took 10 steps too far when I was a 12-year-old girl. You're not welcome in my life as a 47-year-old yeah. woman. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah, totally. Mm. And, you know, that's so palpable, like, you know, that we remember those things. Um, mm. And I think nowadays that uh, things are often being reframed, um, not just with regards to sex and sexual assaults or, or sexuality. Across the board, we're reframing the way that we think about things or being more diverse and inclusive. Mm -hmm. So I think it is really important that people acknowledge those thoughts when they come up because they will come up because we're being challenged by what we hear in the media, by what we get from education, maybe from what our children learn with sex education at home and bring home to us to have to think about. So that's great, but I think people need to be aware because they are, they are challenging when they pop up and you know you may not have intended for instance to think about that person who added you on Facebook but when they add you on Facebook all those feelings are going to come up again and that situation is going to come up again and so we just need to have a little toolkit really so we can be able to deal with them and be confident enough to make the decisions like you did there. Yeah it's really interesting you talk about shame and I think a lot of abused children abused girls become very good secret keepers and it's the secret that you keep for many, many years and decades in your life. And, you know, as the founder of Mindful Mums Queensland and I run wellbeing programs for women, you know, I'll have women coming out to me on a consistent basis telling me about the sexual abuse they experienced as a child and the fact that they've kept it hidden for 20, 30, 40 years even, and now it's coming up in all areas of their life, you know, in, in, in insomnia, difficult relationships, um, finally wanting to confront the person who's abused yeah. them. And so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm also um, acutely conscious of how challenging it is and how s secret keeping uh, for decades and decades is not healthy for anybody. So mm -hmm. you kind of talk about that cycle of shame because I have two young girls and my desire as a mom is to help them retain their innocence as long as possible, first and foremost. And secondly, to feel confident and empowered to ask for what they want and to have strong boundaries. And, yeah. you know, it's we because beautiful, sweet, innocent children can have their innocence taken away from them in a, in a flash. And, you know, as a mother, nobody wants that for their children. So yeah. it, it's, you know, it's very powerful to feel confident to talk about it, but also to be really mindful. And I think as well, if you are an abuse, if you have been an abused child, your predator alert is actually helpful in that way. Yeah, I mean, that must be literally the only good thing about having that had that trauma in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yeah, maybe a slightly more alertness um, when you have your own children and you're and, and a protectiveness over them however having said that there are no there's no um i guess there's no blueprint or there's no person a type of person who's more susceptible than anyone else you know it's nothing to do with that person or that personality that child that has made them more susceptible or that has made them a victim, you know, there's nothing to do with them at all. It's completely to do with the perpetrator. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important as well for people to remember to stop that cycle of blame as well. Yes. Not only have they been threatened not to say anything or told by the perpetrator why they're having this done to them as if it was their fault, you know, they continually will think that throughout their lives. So yeah, I think that's, absolutely why people often don't come 
to a realization or feel strong enough to want to do anything about it until later on in life mm -hmm. and I think when they are speaking to someone like you Chrissy that's definitely because they feel so open with you and trusting of you and actually what most people say when they first come to um, you know tell tell someone about the past traumas and abuse that they've had is that they just want someone to to listen first and then to tell them that they're believed mm. which sounds so tragic and that is literally just the, the main thing that they need because there's we are also scared that we're not going to be believed mm. um and that comes along with I think what you said there in the second half about how you feel about your daughters is that you want to empower them to speak up and mm. to say no and I don't know about you or any of your viewers just now, but when I was younger, I was always taught that I had to be so respectful for all adults. And I would rarely have said no or expressed myself for fear of what they would have thought of me or for what my parents would have thought. Mm -hmm. So I definitely didn't grow up um, feeling that I could sort of go and speak to an adult about an inappropriate adult's behavior. I just was not empowered to have that language or that confidence at all. Not to say that I wasn't confident, but I just didn't have that toolkit at all. I was never given that permission. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important nowadays. I have uh, one daughter as well. I've got one son and one daughter. And I definitely see the societal expectations of her to be much more polite um, and adhering than I do with what I see is expected of my son. And that goes for family members as well as in the public mm -hmm. and um, I absolutely adore that she'll scream and shout and tell someone no if she wants to and I'm never stopping that you know <laughs> yeah that's beautiful it's good to hear so what inspired you really to start talking about this topic what was the catalyst well I always say I always sort of say the police when I first started joining the police but having said that um, I did do quite a lot of work in this area before that my un, my uh, postgraduate master's degree was on um, human trafficking and that was for sexual reasons sexual exploitation so I guess I was always in that sort of space um, I have always been very interested in sex when I was growing up as a teenager as we all are but I felt really confident and was like really over exploratory like I loved um having lots of sex as an older age teenager and when I was on my gap year I loved that sexual freedom um and then I was really interested in the fact that later on as I sort of was in my 20s and starting a long-term relationship which is the relationship that I'm in just now with someone who identifies as a man and person with a penis I always knew deep down that I was bisexual but never felt like that I was able to say that because I was living this straight heteronormative life and I didn't have any opportunity to ever like come out or to be bisexual in my life in terms of my family um, expectations there so I find that really interesting now that I I have come out and I've spoken to more of my friends um, about that. I'm obviously my partner, he always knew. But um, it's just really interesting that people, uh, and when you look at the statistics, especially of women, there are so many women out in society who are bisexual, but they just feel like it's either not relevant because they're in a heterosexual relationship, um, that uh, they feel like so pressured to be in a heterosexual or straight culture. Um, and so therefore, what is the point? you know and keep going with that but it's just more like taking away the binary of like as I said before xy men women straight gay you know there are so many different types of labels and you can choose labels or you can disregard the labels but I think it's important to have that freedom of sex of sexual expression mm -hmm. and I cons consistently saw that that was not an option for me um from my friends and my family uh, when I was growing up. So I think that was really an interesting factor to me that when I went on my gap year, I could do whatever I want and be whoever I wanted. And so much of our identity is tied up in with sex because we have such a huge part of our core being is, is sexual, whether we choose to have sex, whether we choose to masturbate or not, whether we choose to be with someone else or not, it doesn't matter. We still have that um, choice and that inner sexual being that needs to be addressed like and you need to celebrate that you know the as I say you can't that under the carpet mm. um, and so like that real shame that I expressed before about you know feeling like I couldn't be too promiscuous because I was a woman or a girl um, feeling shamed 
or um, having sex at a certain age and everyone in the school knowing about it, like those sorts of things that quite often girls have experienced and the realization that they can't do this when their counterpart who is a male or a boy can and can boast about it when they need to hide it. You know, all these dichotomies were so, in, were so interesting to me growing up. Um, and I also worked in Africa for a while when I was 20 and did an AIDS and HIV awareness project. And that was actually really revelatory to me because it was focused on men and um, men and boys. So it was really looking at men and boys as the vehicle to sort of stop the spread of AIDS and HIV, um, especially with the unfortunate levels of sexual violence um, that is experienced. And this was in Mozambique. So I always sort of had that mission in mind. And when I went into the police, that was absolutely my driving force was that I wanted to do something in the domestic abuse realm and in the sexual assault squad. Uh, And, you know, although that sounds really morbid and really an odd thing to want to go into, I just felt really passionate. And every time I was helping someone or working on a case, taking a statement, being the first responder, like I felt like it was absolutely where I wanted to be and where I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's just so many other things that are that come with that job that were really difficult. Um, and when I moved to Australia, I felt like it wasn't the time to continue on with that. Might not be forever, but right now I'm not continuing in that role. Mm-hmm. However, I get that same buzz from doing similar things that we're talking about in this space from speaking to people on an individual basis or speaking at an event. I'm speaking, I'm coming up soon at a pro-choice event um, mm-hmm. with with one of the local senators. So really love this space. And um, I think when motherhood came into the play for me as well, it really changed a lot of how uh, I perceived myself to be and I perceived the world to be. And I felt a lot of different um, expectations to being a mum, the Madonna whore complex that I talked about before, that was really, uh, really obvious to me. And all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't be sexually expressive the way that I was before. I felt like my body wasn't mine anymore. And I'm sure people who have had children feel yeah. um, sort of can relate to some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that was really difficult for a lot of women who come forward, a lot of vulva owners who've had children because they then have to go back into their intimate relationship which is already very strange with the huge change in their lives mm-hmm. and um yeah I think getting people back on track or getting people to realize that they won't get back on track and that's fine because it's going to be different this time but it's still going to be great uh, that felt really good to me and so that's why I really enjoy um Happy Mash and the sexual wellness brand that I have and I get to work with so many awesome other brands I work with Ramona Mag, uh, wildsecrets.com.au who are one of my largest wholesalers and I get to do lots more outreach and education programs like webinars such as this as a result yeah it's awesome and you talk a bit about um you know reaching people on a really personal level and I think you know just it's that ripple effect that you can also create once you inspire someone to kind of think about this in a more holistic way because a lot of women and I can speak from experience I felt like a vessel you know, giving birth and having a child attached to my breast for 10 months, I just felt like an empty vessel, Uh like a shell of myself. And so many women experience that, but we're not allowed to articulate it uh, in such direct language. So it's really also, I think, helping people find the language to articulate how they're feeling that they haven't quite, like you talk about a toolkit. If we had a toolkit of language to express how we're feeling all the time, we'd probably have less emotional health issues I feel yeah yeah and like not so much reticence to okay we may have that toolkit but we might not want to say anything out loud you know because we're worried about what other people will think and that's yeah. on them like they all they obviously have to do the work as well mm-hmm. um, and that's why I don't mind oversharing or saying things that people aren't expecting because it breaks down that barrier for them and then in the future those conversations will feel a bit easier mm-hmm. um no matter who they're speaking to so it kind of like it absolutely does have that ripple effect like that domino effect I hope that one conversation I'll have can go on to another one and another one and another one and it'll keep going Mm. Um, and it will make people feel more open to be able to discuss these sorts of things and we'll keep communication going improve relationships improve bonds as well 
-hmm. no matter what type of relationship we're talking about, whether it's just friends, whether it's just you or I speaking here or you speaking with some of your clients or your followers. So yeah, it really is, it really is very, very important, especially I feel like we're at such a bit of a, like a real switch um, in the way that we do discuss this. Like if you even were to go back five, certainly 10 years ago, this wouldn't be something that we would be discussing as much. Or if it, if we were, it would be more kind of jokey or kind of taboo, like thinking about Sex in the City or Fifty Shades of Grey or all those, those sorts of um, classic stereotypes that I'll reference. Um, and okay, those were great in a way because they opened up the conversation, but mm-hmm. now we can reframe it and make it actually part of our lives, not just something that exists in pop culture or the media. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, so I think it is really important, like you say. That's true. So who are your role models? Well, one of my main role models is Clementine Ford, who is a modern Australian feminist. And I'm sure that you and some of your followers will have heard of her. And she's had a number of novels, um, sorry, a number of books uh, that are focused on feminism, that are focused on toxic masculinity, that are focused on love um, and womanhood. So uh, she is a definite role model of mine because she loves um, standing up to people and saying exactly what she thinks and um, without uh, without thought of what who cares what they're going to say basically mm-hmm. you know and I, I, in fact anyone is my role model who's like that anyone who can stand up for something that they believe in without worrying about consequence or anyone who can throw off the shackles that we all have from patriarchy and really live their authentic lives mm-hmm. I guess anyone who is trans or non-binary is a role model of mine because they really have overcome such huge barriers within their lives to live authentically and they will continue to do that and I honestly thank them so much for having put that legwork in because um, I myself don't feel like I will ever identify as that but I know that my children do or my children's children or anyone who's growing up having those terrible feelings that they're in the wrong gender as to which they have been assigned mm-hmm. then these people are really doing the trailblazing works so they're like my modern day heroes to be honest um, but I really I guess anyone like I've been reading a, a book right now by Liz Plank who's an amazing Canadian feminist um, and economist so all these people who have decided to actually live authentically have a real uh, organic thought that they've rolled with and then played out and shown how it could be uh, expressed in the in our society in our western society I really admire that and thank them for um making me think twice three times four times about all these different issues so yeah those those are my main role models right now and um yeah I always try and seek out uh, female role models because that's obviously how I identify myself and I feel like we have uh, women have a much bigger hurdle uh, within society and within our careers so um, if we can sort of look to ourselves and support ourselves uh, in that respect then I think that we're all going to get on better. Mm, I felt really emotional actually when you were speaking about the role models of non-binary people and the challenges that they've gone through because if you know you go back a hundred years we couldn't even vote and yeah. and you know the role of women has changed so much and the role of women will continue to change the people I most admire and aspire to emulate are those that are kind of 10 years 20 years older than me and they're kind of still productive and active at they took they look at life in a very holistic way and I think yeah. you know the health of our society generally won't thrive if we're not holistic in our mindset around health. So sexual health, mm. emotional health, mental health, spiritual health. We have to have all our healths in a row, ducks in a row, yeah. or be, be tapping into all of our all health avenues in order to really thrive as people. So that's yeah. why I interviewed people on a whole range of different topics regarding health and wellness because it's important to me to showcase to you know, everyday normal working mums, especially, you know, how um, we can improve just small things in our life or make minor tweaks in areas of yeah. our life that actually add up to a massive, that mm. sea change, that step change that you're aspiring to, you know. So thank you for sharing those things with me. You're welcome. No, it's really exciting to think that, um, yeah, if anyone can decide that they might want to try masturbation again, that they might want to touch themselves and really enjoy that that time to themselves because every like self-care is such a big buzzword right now and everyone's talking about self-care but it really just needs to you know it can step away from like lighting the candles and doing a face mask you know you can just spend some time to yourself 
and touch yourself because it's completely your secret. You know, uh, you can be in a safe space and really enjoy the thoughts and the fantasies that are going on. This doesn't mean that you want those to go ahead in your real life, in your real sex life, but it's something that you explore within your mind and it's your secret. Not that it needs to be a secret, but it's your secret. It's your time to yourself. You're completely safe. And you hopefully will get an orgasm at the get at the end, which is the ultimate happy brain chemical with the do- dopamine and the endorphins. Mm-hmm. And if people regularly practice masturbation, if they try maybe for once a week, that doesn't seem too big a time, especially if you've got an amazing sex toy and you can do that within five or 10 minutes, mm-hmm. then they'll really see the health benefits and uh, the happiness benefits and the contentedness benefits that will come from that and hopefully an increase in libido as well if that's what they feel they need within their own intimate relationship with a partner mm, and it's a great way to wind down when you flick the off switch at the end of the <laughs> end of yes. the day <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean it can Mel- be ex- melatonin ex- kicks in as well <laughs> yeah and it can be an exciting thing as well and and one of the um queer sex coaches that i've worked with she often uh, jordana she often talks about uh talking talking yourself up to a masturbation session later on if you know you have some time later or maybe in the coming days you know like talk to yourself like you're sexting yourself or telling yourself how amazing you are or like picking a part of your body that you love and really overemphasizing that and reminding yourself about that throughout the day um because it just gets you so excited for that and it really uh, increases that self-love because that's exactly what it is um, but this time it's just not self-loving yourself as in touching. It's also within your mind. So it really is great for body positivity in that respect as well. Yeah, it is. I try to visualize that my boobs haven't had the life sucked out of them and they're lovely <laughs> like they used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I guess mirrors are often uh, a trigger for some people. But, you know, there's no mirrors involved in masturbation if you don't want them to be. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so true. So just give me a quick insight into how you see sex ed changing for young people in the future. Yeah, and I think that sex education, I mean, people, young people are changing that so much, really. They're leading the way. Um, and I think that good sex educators nowadays who are working with young people and juveniles, they really need to make sure that they are being led by the people they're teaching. So a good sex educator will often set the scene for what they're going to loosely just discuss that day but they will let the participants lead them along the way so usually if sex educators you can imagine they're all going to be adults and so there's a lot that we can learn from the youth and we need to learn from the youth especially about like what's trending what they're discussing and what's in what's out uh, language that they use that we as adults or older people just aren't into I'm sure we can all remember the sort of stupid language that we used to have when we were younger we need to know what they're discussing yeah and we need to know what that means so we can go ahead and so any good sex educator will be ready to learn just as much as the participants will be throughout the course of their session um I think what I was discussing about before about moving away from the binary is really important I think actually a lot of children a lot of adolescents are already there to be honest I think they're so uh, well versed especially things like neurodiversity they have had a lot of that when they were growing up in their primary school and now as they come into high school you know that that diversity moves across the spectrum so not just neurodiversity it comes in with different sexualities everyone's a lot more accepting than when you or I were at school we could never have imagined discussing people's sexuality like and gay was a very negative and discriminatory term mm. so now I think we really uh, we have that great foundational um, starting place from which to springboard as sex educators and so moving away from some of the labels are is often very good so if we want to talk about gay lesbian bisexual straight okay they're like the main four corners of their sexuality spectrum but mm-hmm. people uh, need to understand that you don't have to choose one and um, you can be somewhere in the middle of all of those and that however you feel is exactly how you should feel and you are valid in those feelings you know you don't have to be part of a community or feel like you're on the external peripheries of the queer community but you do identify as queer you know those are all things that people feel they can and can't be part of I think people need to be and I think this this is already happening much more individual about themselves rather than feel like they need to subscribe or adhere to 
the way in which society expects them to or which patriarchy dictates them to be. Um, we are becoming much more individual and that is great and it's improving people's confidence and it's proving, improving people's expression um, and it's improving the way that we feel that we are uh, allowed and we have permission to be able to discuss all these things, not just in the sexual realm, but the confidence to be able, the audacity sometimes to like step out of, out of the circle which, which with which you were given at birth and say, actually, no, I don't adhere to that or I don't want to do that and I want to do this instead or I don't agree with what you're saying and this is why. Mm-hmm. So I think that like that, that sort of... Um, the permission that sex educators give children to be able to discuss that is amazing because so often at home they don't get that and that's not often that's not usually because the parents aren't well-meaning it's just that they don't have their own toolkit ready to go and they have no idea what's age appropriate or appropriate to discuss with their children Um, and so people think well it's fine because they're going to be getting like new age sex education at school but really actually a lot of the way that we are formed in our sexual identity and the way that we feel shame or we don't feel shame does come from our home life and the way that our parents or our carers were as we were growing up and the messages that they were giving us either verbally or through body language um, and actions so those things, unfortunately, for parents and carers, you know, we do have to think about those a lot more because they really do permeate um, a lot more than what we would like or than what we think. Mm. Um, and so I think sex educators have to come to a classroom knowing that, I mean, already we have to understand all the different types of faiths and cultures mm. and those are human rights. So they're like, they, they're so much more deeply entrenched um, and that's absolutely right that they are. But also we do have to think about, um, culture in more of like a loose term and and the way that our parents uh, have, have had such obviously a huge um what's the word that I'm thinking of uh, impression upon the child who sits in front of us in the classroom so yeah I mean I think it's really exciting and I really can't wait to see like I personally I always talk about this 100 year mark I'd love to go forward in 100 years and see what things are like in terms of the the sex education space um, Keisha and I who run sexually healthy cities it's more like an adult based model so focusing on adults mm-hmm. um, who will have who often are parents so there is that sort of drip down effect mm-hmm. but we always thought like if we could have like a 30 year model so kind of like two generations worth mm-hmm. and we were successful mm-hmm. and you know ideally like everyone would change the way that they were Mm-hmm. Uh, or we're more open and more sexually expressive like then our job would be completely done like <laughs> we wouldn't need to discuss it anymore but yeah. um, obviously that's, that's the like legacy a, yeah yeah exactly legacy. Yeah, like yeah 30 year job and then that was it like everything would be solved <laughs> wouldn't that be nice it's funny about the parent thing I've been sitting here trying not to laugh out loud because I have this funny story of my husband when the girls were little mm-hmm. and I we would bath them in the bathtub and I said to him one night did you wash her gina you know we call it the gina and he said yeah. no he said aren't they self-cleaning and I said vaginas are not self-cleaning <laughs> <laughs> and so now when I the shower and the girls are like wash your gina wash your bum bum you know and like they yeah. know from a young age that they need to keep it cleaning because if it's left up to my husband, they'd just be self-cleaning. <laughs> well, you know what? Your husband was kind of right in a way because the internal canal of your vagina is self-cleaning. But yeah, I think the, he meant more the vulva, like internal labia. Yeah, give that a yeah. little rinse with some water. <laughs> I have heard so many stories like that. People often talking about gina instead of vagina because like yeah. the V was often too harsh for them oh. to say because of that stigma that they've experienced from when they were younger. Um, and so much so at one of the more recent workshops that I did um, a woman talked about uh, how she absolutely was convinced that it was Gina until she was like a teenager and she had an argument with someone about it and was very like humiliated because it's not embarrassed it's humiliated it's what she's been taught when she realized that, that was not true so it just goes to show that we think we can be really open and we know the names for everything but then there still will be something that creeps in that um is skewed or it's not quite right so yeah I get childhood is just one of those things that we're never going to get right but as long as we try our hardest yeah well the gina was just a um a way to help the two three four year old you know express say it without um you know just in a simple way but that's I understand exactly what you're talking about yeah so 
please tell me about the platform that you've created around sexually healthy cities and what's involved in that. Yeah, well, so Sexually Healthy Cities, once we finished our online component, it will be uh, a mix between in-person and online workshops or webinars. And that will they generally will all have a different sort of theme in mind. So one that we were doing recently was the vulva edition that was like in-person and that was vulva painting. And we also did one for men or penis owners as well. So they all have like different sort of themes. Another one that I'm wanting to start in the new year is called the Birds and the Bees edition. And they'll be, that's for parents who are, want to learn more about how to speak to their children about sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And there'll be sort of three tiers uh, of age, depending on the age of the children. So obviously speaking to two to five-year-olds is completely different to speaking to your teenagers. Mm -hmm. So um, that's another sort of side we want to look at. Another one is, um, we call it the boardroom edition. And it's very much about um, thinking about your career, um, the way that you speak in public, that confidence and how you can actually link those with your confidence in the bedroom. So being able to ask what you want from your partner with pleasure is very akin to actually being able to step outside your comfort zone within the workplace and speak confidently in public and get to where you want to in your career. So we're working with a, um, a local public speaking coach to, to do that. And we'll work with her in the course of the workshop as well. Um, our ultimate goal, like these, these are all sort of, you know, facade workshops, I guess you would call them with our ultimate goal um, being to lower the domestic and family violence rates that we see in society um, and also the terrible sexual violence that we see is reported. And we know there are huge waves of people who um, experience ter terrible things and that they go unreported. Mm. We really feel like the education of men and boys uh, would be a real huge, um, a huge starting place. Mm -hmm. for that uh, because they often are uh, those who will harness a lot of the power in that realm in the sexual space or um, have been traditionally told through patriarchy that they uh, have that power and that they um, should you know can do what they want with that sort of power and so I oh that's just not that it's like I want them to change their behavior for the benefit of everyone else they also men and boys have classic like terrible mental health statistics and high suicide rates in Australia mm -hmm. and that is something that can definitely be benefited from um, we talk about pornography a lot porn is a huge part of how every person is brought up and I would say anyone who is millennial and younger so sort of that 35 or 40 35 age and younger so classically would have had access to pornography either on their home computer or when they were older um, in a handheld device mm -hmm. so people are consuming pornography and um, it's part of their lives like I'm not saying that pornography is bad I myself use pornography it's more that we need to make sure when children view pornography which they do and which they are doing it's just that they have the understanding to be able to um, reframe what they're seeing as entertainment not reality and that they have already had the sex education put in place to give them the foundations to understand what they're seeing and give them the foundations to understand that what they're seeing is not what they are then expected to replicate which we know is happening now and that is why porn gets such a bad name because there are so many different scenarios which play out dangerous gender stereotypes mm. or actually just dangerous practices mm. or sexual practices in general um, whereas porn doesn't have to be seen like that it's like a sexual expression it's um it's a genre of filmmaking as well and as mm. long as it's ethical or it's feminist porn then I think you know there it should be celebrated and should not be stigmatized anymore because it's just driving it even further underground mm, yeah you're right and I guess you're also looking at it from your human trafficking lens of your former life you know so it's yeah. very you know it can be emotionally charged when you're thinking about all of those um sexual violence issues for women yeah definitely. absolutely mm. Thank you for sharing everything with us today. It's been lovely to talk with you. I'm going to share the uh, link to Happy Mash in the notes to this show. So yeah, thanks. Can reach out to you if they're interested and have a look at the online program. Thank you. And, uh, is there anything else you'd like to share before we finish? No, I just think like, you know, carry on and doing what you're doing because you obviously have such a committed um, community here who really benefit from what you're doing. And when you mentioned before about your disclosures for people disclosing past sexual assault or trauma or any sort of trauma in the past, 
like that's just um, absolutely amazing that you're giving them that option that um, platform to be able to discuss it with you and for them to feel so validated afterwards because it's such a dangerous and stressful time giving that first disclosure to someone so congratulations and keep doing what you're doing Thank you very much. Well, I know that one in four women have suffered sexual abuse and potential sexual violence. And, you know, so when I'm sitting at a table with 10 people, I know that there's at least three there that have experienced yeah. what what I've experienced. And so I really want to enable those conversations as much as possible by being open with people, but also allowing people to recognize the triggers. And I think, you know, i am just turned 47 recently and I only really developed my own language to articulate what I wanted, what was um, coming up for me in my life in my 40s because things, you know, when we suppress our suffering, we suppress our trauma over a long period of time, eventually it rises up within you. And when you, yeah. when it rises up within you, you have the opportunity to meet it with forgiveness, compassion or grace, or it's going to continue to eat away with at you for the rest of your life. And I really you know try to help women understand that that's a huge part of our health as well yeah and I think um this is obviously not a blueprint no one has a blueprint set ahead of them but I think I have experienced a lot of women who have children who are going into the high school ages so they feel like they have a little bit more headspace rather than like in that sort of toddler or young aged um, mm. space that they were in before so they have a little bit more headspace and so that often will bring things to the fore as well and especially if you were abused at, uh, during teendom, um, which is the age at which your children may be coming into, it can be really triggering without you realizing at all or without you figuring out, without you trying to do that. Like it just comes to the forefront, it boils to the, the surface, like you say. And it's really, it can be really hard to acknowledge. It can be really hard to take that first step. So congratulations to anyone who, who is on that journey right now. Thank you so much. Great to chat with you. And yeah. I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Thanks, Chrissy.